Well, it's good to be with you in your home today. We're starting a brand new teaching series today from the book of Acts. So please turn to Acts chapter 1 if you have a Bible in front of you. And this series is called Acts and the New Normal. And if you were to ask most people in our country at the moment, what's the one constant that you've experienced over the last couple of months? Most people would say change. Change is the one constant that we've known. And change was very familiar to the early Christians. And we're going to learn the things that fueled them as they moved forward through seasons of change, yet they also saw how God would use them in the midst of that to bring many more people to know Jesus. So it was important last week, wasn't it, to look at the theme of social justice and particularly the theme of racial injustice. And I thought Chris did such a brilliant job sharing our heart as elders And I want to encourage you to keep remembering those five questions he was asking of us. Are we being humble? Are we grieving? Are we speaking out? Are we valuing diversity? Are we praying? But as I look at the book of Acts, I think it's such an appropriate book for us to be looking at because I think if you were to ask the early Christians, how are you going to right the wrongs of the world? How are you going to fill the world with the love of God and the values of God, and the fairness of God, and everything good about God, they'd say this, we're going to do the Great Commission. We're going to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, and we're going to disciple them and teach them and uh, all of the values and commands that Jesus has taught us. Because they knew that Jesus changed lives at the deepest level. And they knew that the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives was love and joy and gentleness and patience and self-control and so many other things. They also knew that the gospel is the most unifying force on the planet because it reconciles us to God and to other human beings. So they had confidence as they moved forward that God was going to use them to answer the problems of the world. And I don't know about you, I want to be a Christian like that, and I want us to be a church like that. We live in changing and challenging times. I don't know about you sometimes, but when I look at the TV, I I find myself thinking these days, I think, gosh, those people are standing awfully close together, aren't they? Because the new normal is now two metres apart from one another. Hopefully not for long. But everything's changed, hasn't it? Parents have become teachers. Teachers have become IT experts. IT experts stay home and tap away on their laptops while watching the kids. Kids learn at home in isolation. Households have become the place where we socialize, work, learn and relax. We don't zoom along in our cars anymore. We zoom along on our screens, having social interaction with others. Home is the place that connects us with the world, whether online or through reaching out to our nearest neighbours. The early Christians lived in this ever-changing world. By Acts chapter 1, they'd already experienced three years of life and ministry with Jesus, witnessing a brutal crucifixion, seeing him raised to life, and more recently they'd seen him ascended to heaven and disappeared, and they were left by themselves, 120 of them. Then they saw that church grow in a very short time from 120 to 3,000, from 3,000 to 5,000, then 5,000 back to 12. 
because persecution happened and they, the rest of them got spread out all across uh, the region. And then those people started telling other people about Jesus. And then before they knew it, what was a predominantly Jewish Christian church became a Gentile Christian church by majority. Everything changing all of the time. How did they navigate these changes? How did they run the race that God had for them? I think part of the key is they didn't see church as an institution. They didn't see it as a building. They didn't see it as something that was part of their history. They saw it as something that they were in the present. You know, Acts chapter 1, when you look at it, it starts with some disciples just before Jesus returns to heaven. And they say, Jesus... Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? The question was this, Jesus, when are we going to go back to the olden days? That's what they were asking. They said, could we have the Old Testament again? And Jesus kind of says to them, actually, the future isn't in the past. He says, you'll receive my spirit and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, the best thing about yesterday was that God was with us. The best thing about today is that God is with us. And the best thing about tomorrow is that God is with us. We don't need to look back because we can look forward because what is best is ahead for all of us who trust in him. So here's the first answer to the question we're going to give today. How did those early Christians respond? What was their lifestyle that enabled them to navigate these times? Well, here's the answer to the question today. They engaged with everyday prayer. And we're going to look at verse 14 of chapter 1. Just one verse. It says this. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is what that church community looked like. They joined constantly in prayer. Now, Luke wasn't there at the time who wrote this book. So this is him. Later on, he's asking people. He's saying, so that period between the, the resurrection of Jesus and Pentecost when the Spirit came, he says, tell us, what were the characteristics? What did you do with all your time? And the answer came back to him, forcefully enough that he'd write these words. The people said, well, we just prayed. We prayed. We prayed. We prayed a lot. And I believe that's a characteristic that God wants to restore to his church in our day. I don't know about you, but I find when people talk about prayer, I can find my heart just sinking a little bit, the feelings inside, because I recognize that this is a challenge that I find difficult. In fact, I was reading the story of one of the greatest praying churches I've read a book about, uh, the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City in Brooklyn, and it's led by a pastor. It's a very thriving church that's seen many saved, many people healed, many people delivered. And their prayer meeting is the highlight of the week. Thousands gather. When that church began many, many years ago, decades ago, the pastor of that church, Jim Simbala, said, he said, I looked at it and I thought, this is going to need a miracle. He said, but the trouble was, he said, I looked at myself and I thought, I'm not a man of prayer. But he learned it. He learned it. He learned how to pray. And that became the mainstay of his whole Christian ministry. Those early Christians were on a journey. 
Maybe today you're at the very start. Maybe you don't know Jesus yet. Well, it begins with a prayer where you say, Jesus, please come into my life. A recent survey suggested that more people are praying now than in recent years. There's no experts here. But we can learn about being constant in prayer. So I've got four Ds that we can learn. What are the things? Why did they pray? What are the things that drove them? Because I need reasons in my life to pray. I don't know about you. Here's the first D. They discovered delight. Delight. They discovered prayer was a delight. Maybe that's not a phrase you've ever put together with prayer. But, you know, these same disciples were the ones who asked Jesus in Luke chapter 11. They said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray, please? That's to say, Jesus didn't command them and say, gather around, I must teach you to pray. People spotted something so wonderful, so amazing about the relationship that Jesus had with his father, that the disciples said, could we have that too? Could we have it too? Prayer is about a relationship that you enjoy. It's about delighting in a person, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Never move away from the fact it's about a relationship. It's not about a format or a method. Here's here's an idea for you. If you want to learn about prayer, if you want to learn to pray, learn from people who love praying. You'll never learn how to delight in prayer by learning off people who don't seem to enjoy it. I always look to people and watch videos and books, read people like Terry Virgo, like Pete Gregg. I, I, was, um, I was at a, a Scottish Parliament um, meeting with, with some, a random group of people and we'd been split into twos and we'd been asked to introduce each other uh, to, to each other as an icebreaker. And the man next to me happened to be a Nigerian pastor. I'd never met him before. And we had to say that the icebreaker was, please say something you've enjoyed in the last week. And I think I said to him just something cute about my kids or something. And, uh, and it was his turn and he just smiled and he, he was slightly sheepish and he said, he said well, he said, I, he said, the thing I've really enjoyed this week is, he said, I don't want to say it because it might sound like I'm boasting. He says, but I've really enjoyed praying. And he said, I've been getting up at four every morning and just worshipping and praying. And he said, I love it. And you know, it didn't feel like him bragging or boasting. It was something life-giving to me because I thought, yes, I want that for my life too. I want to have that kind of deep, deep love of prayer. But you see it here. You find that they were constant in prayer. You find that they taught the new believers in Acts 2.42 the importance of prayer. You find that Stephen when he was being pelted with stones. What's he doing? He's praying. He's praying in the moment of death. Friends, all of us will one day face that moment and there's no better way to approach that moment than in the place of prayer, in communion with Jesus. Acts 10, Peter leaves the crowds and goes up on a roof to pray by himself. It's about delight. Here's the second D. So you can't have delight without the second D, which is discipline. Delight requires structure and planning. Jesus taught his disciples a structure for prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it goes on. Some of us are averse to structures. But let me ask you a question. If you've got a really good friend, 
and you're both getting really busy and you haven't seen each other for a while, what do you do? You get your diaries out and you say, let's fix a time so we can be together. Discipline isn't a sign of not enjoying somebody's presence and company, it's a sign of valuing it. And the early church had plans and places. In Acts 3 verse 1, you find that Peter and John are going to the temple at the hour of prayer at three in the afternoon. The hour of prayer happened four times a day in Jerusalem. There was a regularity about their prayers. In Acts 16, you find Paul and Silas going to a place of prayer outside, near the river. Maybe there's an idea for us in these days where we're not allowed to meet inside. We could go outside to places and we could say, why don't we meet and pray? In a week's time, we're going to gather together as a church online to pray seven o'clock every morning for 30 minutes. I want to encourage you to get into the discipline of prayer because God will meet you in that place. Don't let it just drift. The God of the universe has invited you into relationship through his son. That's not a duty, but that's a delight that we experience through discipline. Here's the third D that drove them. Desperation. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. You're desperate and you think, Lord, I need your help. Well, they had that experience. Acts chapter 1, not the most exciting chapter in the book of Acts by a long way. But here's the problem. The church is 120 people and it's not growing. In fact, the spirit hasn't come. They're now nearly two months in after Jesus raised from the dead and the church hasn't grown they're getting increasingly desperate. I, I think their prayers are getting more fervent as they say, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. We really need your Holy Spirit. Let's follow it through. At the end of Acts chapter four, a couple of them have faced persecution. They return to the church community and they say what's happened. The instant response is prayer. It says they raise their voices together in prayer to God. In Acts chapter 6, when faced with the challenge of feeding poorer members of their church community, the apostles' response is, we need to pray more in the middle of this situation. In Acts chapter 1 that we read a few moments ago, we said that Jesus' mother and brothers were with that early crowd of believers. One of those was James, who wrote the book of James. What did he learn about prayer in that time? Well, you read it in James chapter 5, verse 13 he says if anyone is in trouble let them pray if anyone is happy let them sing songs of praise if anyone is sick let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well the prayer of the righteous person the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective here was his learnings about prayer. James, who was there in Acts chapter 1, he said, it works. It works. When we pray, stuff happens. So his response was, if there's people who are sick, let's pray for them. If there's people who are experiencing trouble of any kind, let our first response be prayer. Let me ask you the question, what is the thing or the things that you must see God break through in, in your life? Why don't you write those things down? And begin to pray about them. Ephesians 6 says, pray in the spirit with all kinds of prayers and requests. It was great earlier, wasn't it, to pray for local businesses and national businesses. 
to pray, God, would you move? God, would you help? Because God hears those things. I had a, a brilliant email from a member of our church, um, Chris Ashurst, earlier this week. And he'd recently started a prayer group in his neighborhood with some other Christians from other churches. And they were just praying about some of the issues that were going on in the neighborhood. And he said they had their first meeting in February over Zoom. And he said the issue that they were praying for was that there was a disturbance and distress being caused to people in a development near us through someone who had a drug habit. And there was a couple from another church who were their next door neighbors and they were increasingly affected by this. And we've prayed every month. And one of the ladies who comes from another church, Carubbas, prayed every time she walked past that property on her daily exercise. He said three weeks ago, the report was that the disturbances had stopped altogether and haven't been heard since. The same person is still living there. There's no known explanation for this sudden dramatic change, except, of course, we have a God who hears and answers prayers. Life-changing. For some people in that community, God cares about the stuff that we care about and he loves us to bring it to him. Everyday prayer, everyday requests, God loves to hear. And here's the fourth and final D, direction. They received direction in the place of prayer. If you find yourself thinking, what am I meant to be doing in these times? What am I meant to be doing in these next weeks and months or in the future? There's a great encouragement to you from the book of Acts that pretty much every breakthrough that they experienced came out of a prayer meeting or happened in a prayer meeting. In Acts 2, verse 1, it says they'd gather together. What were they doing? Well, we know from chapter 1 they were praying. That's what they did when they gathered together. And the Spirit comes and 3,000 get saved. In Acts 4, the Spirit comes on them when they pray and they receive boldness. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is praying and an angel appears to him. In the same chapter, Peter is praying and a vision comes to him. In Acts chapter 13, they're worshipping and praying and fasting. And the Holy Spirit says to them, set apart Paul and Barnabas to go and plant churches right across the world. See, when we pray and in the place of prayer, God redirects and recommissions us. Let's be expectant for God to move and speak as we pray and as we pray together in our week of prayer. Don't just rattle off the shopping lists, but give space for him to speak. So cultivate these four habits, delighting through discipline and in desperation receiving direction from God. Today you're on a journey. Why don't you take some steps forward in that journey this week? Let me finish with some simple thoughts. This came out of the, uh, the beginning of Pete Gregg's book on how to pray, which is an excellent book. And he said some wisdom that he got taught years ago was this when it came to prayer. Keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. I thought, that's brilliant. I thought, I wish I'd read that before I'd started preparing my message because I could have just used that theme and it would have been a lot easier. Keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. And let me give you three as well for when we pray together, because praying together has yet another dynamic to it. Firstly, be there. Show up. Good things happen when you show up and pray. Secondly, be yourself. It's so easy to compare yourself and your prayers to those of others 
Do you know a five-word prayer is no less acceptable to God than a scripture that see, uh, than a prayer that includes the whole of Psalm 119. See, all our prayers are acceptable through Jesus. Don't compare. Don't let the enemy sneak in and compare you with other people and discourage you. And third one, be active. If you're in prayer rooms together, then make sure that you're praying along and you say yes and amen and agree as other people pray. Because it's so encouraging when people do that to you, isn't it? When people say yes to what you're praying, it's like they think it's a good prayer, which we always do. So... Pray along with others, be active, be there, be yourself and be active. So friends, I really hope that you can engage in this week of prayer together. I I hope that you'll be able to engage more in your own times of prayer, maybe set apart a few minutes each day where you can just pray some themes that we'll be uh, making known to you nearer the time. So God bless you. Let's finish together by asking God to come and help us as we look to him.